Father in heaven, I thank you that great is thy faithfulness. And I thank you, God, that you, you know our pains, you know our struggles. Lord, you know our situation. And not only do you know, but you possess the power to redeem everything that is occurring in our lives right now, to transform our hearts, to transform those, Father, whom we are close to, or to even for those who are oppressing us. God, I pray right now for those who physically need strength, who physically need healing, God, that you would pour out your power upon them, that you would pour out your healing upon them. For those, Father, who emotionally and spiritually are, Father, struggling today, I pray, God, that you would minister grace to them, that you would strengthen their resolve, and that you would work, uh, Lord, to transform their situation, and if not, transform their life. And, Lord, I pray for those who financially and emotionally this is just a difficult day for. Lord, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs through your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, I pray for those, Father, who uh, just are hurting today, whom feel like there is little hope. I pray, God, that you would sustain them, that you would wrap your arms around them and let them know that you are there and that you will carry them, if necessary, through the valleys that they are in right now. And so, God, I pray your hand of healing, of mercy, of power, and of love upon each who is standing this day. And, Lord, as we pray for our brothers and sisters, we ask, God, that you allow them to feel the power of your Spirit flowing through their lives right now. Let them know that you are there. And that you will never leave them nor forsake them. That you are the God of help. You are the God of sovereignty and of all power. And nothing is too difficult for you. So, Lord, we trust you this day. We give you our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Amen. And let's just take a moment to pray for all of those who are being affected by the, by the great storm uh, right now. Uh, for those who have already lost loved ones. And for those who are struggling, and that God would use this to bring glory, that God would redeem this situation, uh, even though it seemed dire. I, pr- I pray, Father, for uh, my brothers and sisters on the East Coast and in the Northeast, even at this moment, that, Lord, um, you would protect them and watch over them. And, Lord, that you would use this as an opportunity uh, to see the love of Christ shared and explained and, and understood more fully. And so, Lord, we ask that. He would redeem all things, Lord, for our brothers and sisters who are suffering and being persecuted overseas. Uh, for those who are in Sudan and Kenya. Uh, Lord, for those who are just struggling for food and for water. God, I pray that uh, you would hear our prayers this day and that you would send them relief. And you would send them strength. That you would send them encouragement. Uh, for those, Lord, who are being persecuted because of their faith in you. Strengthen their resolve this day. Let them feel your presence this day. And we ask all these things according to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are continuing our study in the book of Revelation. And I encourage you to be reading through the book of Revelation, particularly the second and third chapter over the next few weeks. Uh, Today we're looking at our second church. Last week we looked at the church at Ephesus, a strong church, uh, a large church, a powerful church, uh, whom God had used mightily, but he had a reproof for him. He said, look, uh, you have lost your first love. I want you to return and love me with your whole heart. But today we're going to look at a church uh, that really, there's no condemnation. There's 
There is nothing to correct about this church, at least in this in this time. Uh, and it's the church of Smyrna. And it's a church that is struggling mightily and uh, in, is a great church, but it's simply struggling uh, because of what's going on around it, because of the oppression and the persecution that it's experiencing. You know, there's a lot of persecution happening today around our world toward Christianity. Um, when you get to countries like Pakistan and Iran and uh, Malaysia and, uh, and in, even in China, where there's much oppression uh, when you say, I am a follower of Christ, I am a believer in Christ, some that are even killed. Matter of fact, uh, the voice of the Christian martyr tells us that over 200,000 people a year are being killed because of their faith, simply because of their faith, and that there are millions upon millions that are being marginalized and are being persecuted in different manners, whether it be taking removal of their freedom, uh, removal uh, of their uh, of their wealth or, or their possessions, or even family members who have been cast into prison. So uh, this isn't just a message to a church 2,000 years ago. This is a message that is uh, very much in effect for today, particularly when we get outside uh, of North America. It's still very real. And even there are... Uh, degrees of, of persecution that people even endure, even in North America. But as we look at this, I don't want you to just think, oh, that was so bad that all that happened back then, because still it still occurs today. The Church of Smyrna was a culturally rich city. It was much like Ephesus in that it was right there on the harbor. Matter of fact, I think we have a little graphic here. You see that circle? That's where Smyrna is. We looked at Ephesus last week, just to the south, about 40 miles. And then we'll deal with the other churches in the weeks to come. You notice Rome is over here to your left. Uh, Jerusalem over here in your far right corner, just to give you kind of a geographical uh, understanding of, of where this is occurring. And uh, Smyrna had always been uh, considered very religious. Matter of fact, uh, if you go back even before the time of Christ, they were the first city to have a temple to the god Roma. Roma, which is uh, one of the primary gods that Rome adopted. Matter of fact, it's on their coinage. And so they had a temple erected before anyone else did to the goddess Roma. And then um, during this time, matter of fact, uh, during the time that we're looking at, at this text right here, uh, they also were uh, basically awarded uh, the temp, kind of the cultic temple to the Roman emperors uh, here in, in Asia Minor. And they won that. Tiberius built one. Matter of fact, probably around 30 uh, A.D., he, built, uh, he had a temple built there in Smyrna, and it was a very popular temple. And all these temples, that pagan worship was huge in the city of Smyrna. And because of this, because people were so religious, uh, Christianity probably met some of its greatest uh, persecution and some of its most difficult times actually in the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was not near the size of, of Ephesus, at, at the church at Ephesus, the church of Smyrna. But yet, it was a church that God favored. And it, yet, it was a church... Uh, that God didn't have any condemnation, but simply had encouragement for and preparation for. So as we look at this uh, church today, uh, we can know that this was a church that was in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trouble. And, it, and it's interesting, when you talk about suffering and trouble, there's, there's really three, at least three types of troubles or three types of suffering. First of all, there's the suffering, and we've talked about this before, that happens just simply because we live in a fallen world. Because people sin, and sometimes their sin affects us. We all are aware we've either had a family member or a friend that has sinned, and it has ill effects upon us. So sometimes we suffer just because of the sin of mankind. Uh, sometimes innocent people suffer because of the sin of mankind. 
But secondly, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin, because of our own poor choices and poor decisions. And we've all experienced that. Sometimes we make decisions that have grave consequences to our lives. Sometimes our sin has a huge uh, penalty upon it, uh, simply from something that we've done or something that we've done to our family that's not easily reversed and, and still leaves a scar. And a lot of times that's simply because of the choices we made. But there's a third type of suffering. There's a third type of trouble that sometimes comes our way that we don't really like to talk about a lot because we like to be exempt from that and we don't even want to think about it. But it's the kind of trouble that Joseph had. Remember Joseph, because of his righteousness, is he's in prison. And then because of his righteousness and his unwillingness uh, to sleep with Potiphar's wife, uh, he finds himself... Even further into prison, another prison stint, a longer prison stint. And it was because of his righteousness. That's the third type. Is sometimes we have trouble because of our faith or because we choose to do what is right. Sometimes you don't get ahead and work because you're honest. Because you decide to live by your principles and values. And that's exactly where Smyrna is. Because of their faith, they are being persecuted. Because of their righteousness, they are being persecuted. Because it was easy when storms would come, when earthquakes would come, uh, when econo- the economy would get bad, to say it's the Christians' fault because they won't worship our gods. But in fact, they were called atheists because they were uh, simply following this Christ figure. And so they won't worship our gods, and so the gods are taking it out on us. And so a lot of times persian- persecution would come for that reason alone. And we pick up here, and it's probably one of those times John is speaking here, and he's writing. He's received a revelation from Jesus. Jesus actually is speaking, and John is recording it. And as he records it, he starts off like this. He says, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and has come to life again. He says here, first of all, to the angel. Remember we talked about that. Uh, the angels, this is actually another word for messenger, is either the pastor or the senior elder of that church if they don't have a pastor. And what's interesting, if you go back into church history, uh, there's a guy named Polycarp. Perhaps you've heard his name mentioned before in history. Polycarp. And Polycarp, when he was uh, just a boy, probably six or seven, eight years old, he was a slave. Uh, we don't know what happened to his parents, but he was a slave without parents. Uh, and this woman received a vision. Matter of fact, she was a part of the church of Smyrna, received a vision. She had a dream one night uh, that she was to go in to, to purchase this boy. And so she went to the gates of Ephesus. And sure enough, there was a boy there who was owned by actually two men, and they were selling him. And so she bought him, and she brought him back to Smyrna, and she raised him as a child. She raised him, and he learned and was educated and learned the Scriptures and grew in wisdom and stature and knowledge. And uh, as he did that, he grew in respect, uh, the respect of his community. And it wasn't long after he was a young man that um, tradition tells us he became a deacon there at Smyrna and eventually became the pastor. So um, he was probably not, some scholars think he was the pastor that he's actually, John's writing to. He probably wasn't, could have been, but he probably was the very next pastor. And, And at least we could look at this prophetically, that this is a letter that Polycarp would have heard, that he would have heard read, that he probably would have even read himself. And and these words must have been ringing in his mind as he went throughout his life, as he 
watched persecution happen around the city of, per, of Smyrna uh, toward Christianity and even in, in greater areas outside of Asia Minor. And as he went through this time, uh, eventually he does become the pastor. And after he becomes the pastor, uh, persecution, and when he's older, really starts to ramp up in this particular area. And it is said that one day, uh, and it was probably due to some kind of natural event that had occurred, that the crowds in Smyrna gathered 14 Christians from that area, and they threw them in the lion's den uh, where they were killed. Uh, Polycar, in, in fact, it is said that the crowd started to chant Polycar because they knew he was the pastor of the church in Smyrna. Well, some friends had gotten to him and it had, <clears throat> had convinced him to leave the city for a little while, and uh, even, even against his own desire. But while he's outside of the city, he has this dream, and he dreams that he will be martyred, and he dreams that he will actually be burned. And so uh, it's not long till Roman soldiers come and knock on the door, and, and before they knock on the door, he's warned, and he said, I'm, I'll run no more. God has showed me my faith. And so they go, and they, they get Polycarp, and they begin to take him back into the city, and they begin to talk to him and say, all you need to do is recant your faith. If you will say Caesar is Lord and denounce your faith, then you can go free. You're an old man. You don't have to do this anymore. If not, they will certainly throw you into the lion's den. But Polycarp has no fear. And Polycarp goes before the judge. And it is demanded of him that he uh, renounce his faith. That he cite Jesus is Lord. Or excuse me, Caesar is Lord. But he won't do it. And when the judge says, do not fear, I will, I will throw you into the lion's den. Know that that has already occurred. For some of your friends. And Polycarp responds and says, I've served him for 80 and 6 years. Which means Polycarp is an old man at this point. He's probably in his 90s. I've served him from 80 and 6 years. And he has never done me wrong. Why then should I blaspheme against my king and my savior? He is then told, this is your last chance. And still he refuses and he says, we will throw you in the lines then. And he says, let, let it be whatever you desire. Basically, do your worst. He says, I will have you burned, Polycarp, the judge pronounces. And Polycarp responds, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and then dies down. But do you know that the eternal fire for justice will come? Do you know that punishment that is to devour the ungodly? Come, don't delay. Do what you will. And as the fire was built, and it was both Jews and Gentiles, Jews who were adamant against Christianity, who were adversarial toward Christianity, began to gather this wood and place it under Polycarp. He prayed this prayer as the fire was lit. Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the grace of knowing thee, God of angels and powers and of the whole creation, of the whole race of righteousness, who live in thy presence, I bless thee for selecting me to suffer in this manner. <clears throat> I consider it an honor to, to be with the martyrs and to drink the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise Thee for all Thy mercies. I bless Thee. I glorify Thee through the eternal High Priest Jesus Christ, Thy beloved Son, with whom thy, to Thyself the Holy Spirit and the glory both now and forever and forever. And as the fire burned, <clears throat> they typically would have nailed Him to the stake, but He said... I will stay here. He was tied, but he was not nailed. And he prayed as he was burned. And it was said, tradition, again, says that the fires didn't fully consume him, so finally a soldier stabbed him and killed him. 
and he died as a martyr for his faith, one of the early Christian fathers. Polycarp from Smyrna, who had been the pastor of Smyrna, would have heard these words multiple times, would have thought about this text probably. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, or excuse me, in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, the eternal God, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slanders of those who say they are Jews but are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid. Some word, there's a word for us right there today. Something to remember in hard times. First of all, he says, I know. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I know what your problems are. I know your suffering. <clears throat> Unlike Satan, who is not omniscient, who is not omnipotent, who is not omnipresent, God is. And Jesus said, I want you to know, I know right where you are. Reminds me of Job story of Job. Remember Job chapter 1 and how Satan comes before God and and God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none righteous like him. He's a good man. He's an honorable man. He's a righteous man. And he said, yeah, God, you know why? Because you put a hedge of protection around him and no one can get to him. So you remove that hedge of protection and see how he does. You see, he's wealthy and and he's untainted by the pains of this world. You take that away and... (laughs) I don't think you'll have such a great follower at that point. I don't think you'll have such a great man at that that point. You see, God, basically what Satan is in for, he's saying, you know what? You pay him to worship you. You take care of him. That's why he does that. And God says, I will remove my protection, but you cannot touch his life. Which tells us again the sovereignty and the power of God. And so the protection is removed and the attacks come. And you know how it ends. Even though his wife says, "Won't well, just curse God and die," and that's what Satan was going to say. That's exactly what Satan said would happen. So, "Won't just curse God and die?" And he says, "No. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." Polycarp surely knew the story of Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible that we have. As Polycarp is listening to this, as the Church of Smyrna is hearing this letter read, as those who would suffer hear this, they have the full assurance that God knows. And that He is ultimately in control and He will ultimately redeem all things. He knows your situation. He knows your poverty. Many, in this instance, were, they really knew what poverty was. I mean, we probably don't even really understand what poverty is. Not probably, we don't. But they were in a culture where they were probably already poor, most of the church, most of the people, because most of the people at that time were. And not only that, now they profess Christ. Now they're marginalized. Economically, they're marginalized. No one comes to their little stand anymore because they go, well, that's, that's the Christian. That's the atheist over there who doesn't worship our gods. Stay away from them. They've, so they've already lost out socially and economically. And then many of them physically have had to endure prison and, and different things. Maybe it's been beatings. And so God knows their poverty, he says. And not only that, I know your persecutors. I know those who are slandering. And some of them are Jews. You go, why would Jews do that? Well, because Jews had special status that they could still worship their God monotheistically 
They didn't have to participate in the worship. But they were aggravated because people were saying they had left Judaism. Many of their friends and family had left Judaism. So they looked at it as kind of like a cult that's taken our people. Not only that, they're making false claims that the Messiah has come, that that Jesus was God. We've got to stamp that out. And so many of the Jews were behind the persecution. They were the ones bringing it to light. They were like the the little brother ratting on the... You know what she did? They were constantly doing that. And what does Jesus say here? He says, look, they're not real Jews. What does he mean by that? What do you mean they're not real Jews? I mean, weren't they born as you? Absolutely. Nationally, they were born as Jews. But he's talking as a fulfilled Jew, a Jew, one who receives the Messiah, a completed Jew. If you want to know what that is, look at Romans 2, 28 and 29 sometime. Just write that down. And Paul makes it very clear what a fulfilled, a real Jew is, not simply one who was born, uh, born as a nationality, but one who has received and had their Christ and had their hearts circumcised who have given their hearts to Christ. He continues here. He says, I know your afflictions. That's a good word for us today. He knows our afflictions. He knows our poverty. I know the slanders of those who say they are Jews and are rich and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They're simply instruments of Satan. I know those who are being used to oppress you. Do not be afraid. You look at that and you go, well, I don't know if that helps me a lot. Do not be afraid. What do I do? Just tell myself not to be afraid? Uh, okay, I'm not afraid. Uh, but I am afraid. Can I tell you, biblically, almost every time, usually it's talking about the reverence, or an issue of reverence and recognition of who God is. But in this instance right here, it's not simply you're just going to suck it up and act like it doesn't bother you. Okay? What it is is it's facing your fear. It's facing it. it it's the picture of, of something of this nature of um, you're, you know, you've got to pay a, a large debt, and the bill collector's coming, and you face it instead of running away and leaving. I saw, a, I saw a news article this week where a guy had a son, and um, he was having his house foreclosed on, just couldn't handle it. So he leaves his son, he runs off, leaves his son, leaves a note, go live with a neighbor. He didn't face it, and I'm sure it was an incredible, difficult situation. Uh, but instead of facing it with his son, he, he leaves and says, "Just go live with your neighbor." That's a picture of, you know what, you may be scared to death of what's coming, but you make the decision that I will face it. That I'm not going to deny it, I'm not going to hide, I will face it. And I may be scared, but I will face the situation. Face it. You cannot get away from it. And that's exactly the word that Jesus is giving here. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. It's not a, if it'll come. In this instance, it will come. And I would tell, tell you, that suffering comes into every life. It rains on the just and the unjust. It's not a matter of if. It's always a matter of when. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil uh, has put, will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Now, we don't know if that's a literal ten days. could be. Or it's just the time period that people would, would be in prison. Usually, uh, there weren't long-term prison sentences. You would either go to a work camp or uh, you would be sentenced to die or you would be released. So it's for a definite period of time. Some of you will be imprisoned. But what does he say? Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He says, do not fear, be faithful. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is your helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He tells him, look, I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to recognize that suffering is going to come. Persecution is going to come. But I want you to stand strong. I want you to know that I'm going to walk with you through this time, through this valley. And I want you to know that they can't hurt you for eternity. That there will be a second death that you will not be affected by. You cannot be, uh, he will not be able to do anything past this temporary time here on earth. Basically, he says this. Recognize everyone is going to stand before God in judgment one day. Every one of us. Every man will have to give an account for who they are and for what they've done. The question is, have you received the saving grace and forgiveness of Christ Jesus? Who washes away our sins and when God looks at it, he sees us as cleansed. He sees us as forgiven. But all who have not accepted that grace and forgiveness will be judged according to their works. And there will be a second death. The first death is when we die our natural death. And we just physically die. Happens to all of us. But then there's a second death. And he says, look, you are not going to be judged in that manner. Because you have overcome here on earth. Because you've trusted me. You've transferred your trust from what you could do to what I've done for you upon the cross. I'm the first and the last. I've been dead. I've conquered sin and death. But now I am alive. So you can be alive as well. The question really comes this Where are you investing today? You know, we all probably have some kind of retirement or IRA. But the real question is, are you investing eternally? You see, here it is. First of all, God promises you right here for your suffering. I will never, I promise I will never leave you. Number two, I know the future. I know what's coming. I'm the sovereign and omniscient God of the world. And I know. Number three, I will not let anything happen to you that I cannot redeem for my glory. Just like Job, just like Joseph, just like Jesus, just like Peter, just like Paul. Nothing can happen to you that I cannot redeem for my glory. That you cannot get an eternal investment on and an investment portfolio that never is dictated by the economy. It never goes down. It can only go up. And I want you to know, I am redeeming all suffering. I am in the process of laying in store treasures in heaven, rewards for eternity for you. So when he says at the end here, he says, look, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. The Stephanos, the, the crown there for the one who completes the journey, for the one who completes the race. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. You can go with a smile on your face. You can stand before God, not because of what you've done, but because of what He's done through you. That He's enabled you to overcome. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. For we have become overcomers. Through Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean we don't slip. Doesn't mean we don't fall. I had a lady come up to me last hour after this last service. And she said, you know, I am. I've been an alcoholic for 40 years. I'm I'm sober now. 
I've drank all my life, and here I am. I'm older. I, I accept Christ when I was a little bit. I've just wasted my life. Do you think God can redeem my life at this point? I feel like I've wasted everything. And you know what I was able to share is, behold, though you were dead, you are alive in Christ. Behold, I make all things new. We serve a God who redeems, who will take our even our sin and redeem that experience if we submit it to Christ. Ask for His cleansing and His forgiveness and put it before Christ Jesus. Behold, I make all things new. I can redeem all things. So whatever you're enduring at work, whatever you're enduring at home, whatever you're going through mentally, physically, emotionally, God wants to redeem it here and in eternity. It is our opportunity to stack up rewards where they really count before Christ. So remember what Jesus has done for you. Rely upon His promises and put your hope in Christ Jesus. God, though most of us don't even begin to understand that kind of persecution, even though we don't even begin to recognize what that would look like, God, I pray that You would remind us of the words of Your Scripture from Revelation 2.8, that there are many in the past and many who still today suffer where those are words of life for you to say that I know where you are and I am in control. That you don't have to be afraid. You can face this. That I am securing a place for your rewards. And that I will walk with you through this time. And that I will redeem this for my glory. Lord, I thank you that even this morning you are redeeming her suffering here. And there are thousands upon thousands who tell that story. Lord, I pray that through that influence, we would recognize how enormously blessed we are and how you desire for us, Father, uh, to recognize how blessed we are and to share of the blessing that we've been given, of our resources, time, our prayers, and our influence. Uh, Lord, for your kingdom, for your children, for your people. So, Lord, we lift this time up to you and we ask for your grace to be poured out upon us. And this day we pray. All these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.